You're listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. For more information, please visit our website at everynationgta.org. Well, as we continue our Real Hope series, we thought this would be a really great time for our ENGTA family to hear a message that was actually spoken in uh, July of 2021 at our Every Nation North America Build Conference. The message is called Unquenchable Hope, and it just seems fitting for this Real Hope series. Um, often when Bert and I introduce a guest speaker, we tell you how long we've known the person. And if it's from somebody from the ENGTA family or from the Every Nation Worldwide family, it's usually 20 plus years. Well, this is a new friend for me. Bomi and I met maybe four or five years ago. And over the last year plus, I've had the privilege of being on a once a month Zoom call with her. And she is a delightful, God-loving woman. So I think you're going to enjoy her. Um, yes, Bomi and Reggie Pastor are Every Nation Church, Kings Park International in North Carolina. They are also the parents of three busy young school-aged kids. And uh, I think you'll agree, after you listen to Bomi today, that she lives out her God-given mission. This is what she says, to encourage, inspire, and awaken others to a deep and meaningful relationship with Christ. So we welcome Bomi. Good morning. It is an honor, privilege to share God's word with you this morning. I am so thankful for this opportunity. I want to say thank you to the leadership team uh, for entrusting this moment <laughs> to me. I, I, I'm really trusting God right now, but totally. But I just want to say thank you. <laughs> now, I have to do this. I am Nigerian. It is in my veins. I will not sleep well if I don't do this. Because I have learned that my comfort comes at the sacrifice of some people. So I must honor the men and the women that invested their lives to help me be the woman that I'm called to be today. So first and foremost, first I thank my Kings Park family. I love you guys. I appreciate you. But I want to say thank you to Bishop Ron and Lynette, Pastor Jim and Miss Kathy, Pastor Taylor and Pastor Elizabeth. I am so grateful that you will take this scrawny, skinny Nigerian and love on her. Thank you. And then to my forever, ever, ever boyfriend. <laughs> who for the most part lets me go shopping. <laughs> Even though he's an analytic when it comes to money. <laughs> Reginald Keith Roberson, thank you for believing in me. And praying for me. Thank you. I'm excited to be with you all today. I only have a few minutes, so I'm going to go ahead and get started, but I want to start with a story. Forty years ago in 1981, a man by the name of Eugene Lang was invited to come to his old school to speak to a group of sixth graders that were graduating. He was excited about the opportunity because Eugene Lang, of course, graduated from that school, but he worked hard and became a self-made millionaire and now philanthropist. So he was excited to come back to his school and to speak to them. And he was excited to share about how he went there, he worked hard, and now look at where he is. He was going to a familiar context 
but it was an unfamiliar setting. Because what had happened through the years is that the cultural or ethnic makeup of that school had completely transformed. And so now he was coming to speak to a group of students that were predominantly African American and Puerto Rican. But not only that, also their economic status was different from what he was used to. So he's right there at the podium and he realizes that what he's about to say is going to be completely irrelevant. Scrapping for what to say, he stands there and he just looks at the class. Because one thing that was already playing at the back of his mind like a tab on a computer was that he realized that also this was a pipeline for failures. The students that graduated that from that school did not make it in high school, they dropped out. So now he's in an unfamiliar setting. Here he is, a wealthy man, he's Caucasian, and he wants to speak to this group of students. And so he stands there and he looks at all the students, he looks at their families, and then he says to them, tearing his notes, listen, if you stay in school and graduate, I will help pay for your college tuition. There was silence in the room. And he goes on to say, for every year you stay in school, I'm going to set aside $2,000 to do this. Eventually the families, I think, is set in. Like, this man is for real. <laughs> and so they run to him, they hug him. And 90% of that class graduated from high school. Nearly, nearly, they believe that over half actually went on to attend four-year colleges. And for those that decided not to go to college, it was said that Mr. Lang ensured that they got jobs. What's the point of this story? It's this. That in a place or in a time where there's hopelessness, a promise makes a difference. <laughs> so if you are a note taker like I used to be, <laughs> because if you want to live a notes worthy li life, you need to take notes. <laughs> then this is my main thought this morning for us. Unquenchable hope awakens or arises when it is connected to a godly promise. And it is cultivated by the practice of praise. An unquenchable hope awakens or arises when it is connected to a godly promise. And it is cultivated by the practice of praise. Let's pray. Jesus, if you don't show up, then God, what can we do? So Holy Spirit, do what you do most. I submit totally to you. Take my words, make them 100% yours, and mark us for your glory and give us hope like never before. In Jesus' name we ask you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm reading from Romans chapter 4, verses 18 through 21, from the New Living Translation. This is our main text. And it starts in verse 18. Even when there was no reason for hope, 
Abraham kept hoping, believing that he will become the father of many nations, for God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about a hundred years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. The interesting thing about this unprecedented season that we have found ourselves in is, okay, I'm competitive. I'm just admitting that. I'm 40. I'm just com admitting that. But I'm competitive. And what the, about me is whenever someone comes to me and says, well, you can't do that. I know I'm a quiet woman, but something inside of me rises up. I don't know what it is. It's not always good, but it rises up. And I go, I will show you. So when we have an unprecedented, and I think, you know, I'm created in God's image. So sometimes I think, I think God's like that too. Because when we have an unprecedented season like we've had, that is prime for God to show up. It's fertile ground for him to do something unprecedented. And because God is our father, just like when we were coming to the Bill Conference, we told our kids, guess what? We're going to Orlando and we're going to Disney too. The excitement. See, God is so excited about what he's going to do. So what he does, he, he can do it by himself. But then he decides to partner with us so that we can participate in what he's doing. And so what he does is he tells us. He gives us a promise. Now, when God gives us a promise, something happens. It's called hope because there's an expectation that if this was said, then this will happen. So the trajectory really is there's, there's a promise. There's this time or place where hope abides. And then there's the reality of the promise coming to pass, right? And hope is so important because in Hebrews 11 verse 1, it says faith is the substance of what? Things hoped for. So when we hope or expect for God to do something, then our faith to believe that he will do it arises. And because God responds to faith, then we can partner with him. The challenge then becomes when we hear that promise and we find ourselves in the in-between. And the in-between looks nothing like what we thought it would look like. See, Psalm 62 verse 5 says, My soul will rest in God alone for my expectation or my hope comes from Him. And so people find themselves in emotional ICU because they expected something that God didn't tell them sometimes. Or they expect something and it's taking too long. Or they expect something and they thought it was going to happen this way and it's obviously happening in different ways. And so we find ourselves in this chasm between the promise and the reality. And so what happens is then the devil understands that if I can just grab that hope and compromise it, what will happen is then I can destroy the faith and then they can abort their participation in the mission that God has. 
So every nation, I'm here to tell you this morning, we will not give up hope. We will not give up hope. And this takes us back into this text because here you have it. Abraham has been given a promise. And he's found in the in-between. And here Paul is talking about Abraham because what's happening, he's talking to the Jews and the Gentiles that are Christians, and he's helping them to understand in the context of this, in the context of our text, that it's not their heritage, it's not their works, but that they the Gentiles have been adopted, they've been grafted by believing into the body of Christ by believing in Jesus. And he's telling the Jews, it's not your heritage or your works, like it's through Jesus that we believe. And then he uses the example of Abraham because he's a father of faith. And he talks about this moment between the, the promise and the reality and the hope. And he starts by saying, even when there was no reason for hope, unquenchable hope must be connected to a godly promise. Some of you are here and you are just this conference shy of quitting. Some of you are here. Before the pandemic, you were rejoicing at being at 100% campus missionaries. And all of a sudden, the pandemic happens and you are just puttering at 63. And you are saying to yourself, I'm going to give up and go find a job. Pastors, you're here. If you're anything like me, there's probably, you've probably had that week where Monday, you got a call. Tuesday, there was an email. Wednesday, it was a meeting. Thursday, another email. Friday, a possible call about people just leaving your church because you decided that you are going to be a person of peace and reconciliation and you are going to watch what you're saying and you can't believe that this person is taking a stand. And here you are trying to keep it all together with your children and your family. There's pressures externally and internally and then you're dealing with things in your church and you want to give up hope. But unquenchable hope must be connected to a godly promise. So here's my first question. What did God tell you? What did the Lord tell you? I remember Pastor Taylor preaching years ago and he said this statement. He said, I don't know why, but we always question in the dark what God speaks to us in the light. But it's in the dark that God shows up like a light. I remember growing up in Nigeria. First of all, I'm so grateful for my heritage. First of all, Nigeria is a little cray cray. But it's a wonderful country to go to. But it's cray cray. And back then, they had something called NEPA. NEPA is an acronym for Nigerian Electrical Power Authority. Now, it's different now, but back then when I grew up, they would do something where the power would go out. Now, let me tell you something. It didn't go out for 30 minutes or for two days. It went out for like three weeks. And you were expected to pay your power bill. Real story. So we lived in a time where we just didn't know when the power was going to go out. When the power goes out, you hear people all around, Nepa don't take lights. 
Min Napa has taken the light that's broken English and all manner of curses. I don't know, whoever, if uh, Lord, I just pray your grace, the amount of curses that went out for them. Because people will be partying or they'll be in the church service and all of a sudden a blackout. It was disruptive. So as a kid, we knew it would happen at some point, which didn't know when. And of course, not everybody had air conditioning units, so when you had one, you savored every moment. And I remember it would be the nighttime, and my parents would tell us, all right, guys, you need to go put on your pajamas, get ready for bed, there's school tomorrow. And we'll run to our rooms. And we didn't live in a big home, so it was really small. But we'll get to the room, and unfailing, Nepal will take light. <laughs> and as a little seven, eight-year-old, I don't know why, maybe this is just my vivid imagination. It will go pitch black, but in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, oh Lord, I know this is the opportunity that every boogeyman that was hiding under that bed is gonna come out. And so just out of fear and concern, I'm like, whoo, Lord Jesus. But very quickly, what I would do and what I learned to do is when it's dark, is in the dark with my eyes, you know, you can't see, I start to feel around for what furniture is around because I don't want to stub my toe. But I learned to, what I'll do is I'll hold on to the bunk bed because again, the boogeyman might come out. So I'll run to the bunk bed and, my, and the dresser and as I'm walking slowly, I will yell out, Mommy, Daddy! And the point was, when they asked me to go put on my PJs, there was a promise that they were in the living room. Because I can't see, I know that they said they were in the living room. So I'm yelling, Mommy, Daddy! And as I'm yelling, I'm hearing them respond back to me, but I'm talking to them still. I know they're looking for candles and lanterns, but I'm like, where are you? We're in the living room. And I learned that the louder they their voice got, the closer I was to them. And so sometimes you just have to remember just like that, that even when it feels dark, even when you've prayed for that baby several times, even when you're asking God to help you as you build your church, even as you're trusting God for the finances, that even though your circumstances are different, even if they're saying and talking about this Delta variant, that you know that the promise still stands, that God is faithful because that's what he said. That's what he said. So what did God tell you? This is what God told us. Abraham didn't have this. All he had was an experience in Genesis 15. Count the stars. And yet with that, he believed God. Do you know what this man went through? Listen, his name was Abraham, father of many. And he was a wealthy man. So you know he was invited to the upper echelon of meetings. Just imagine if he had to go to those meetings. Oh, what's your name? Abraham. Nice to meet you, father of many. So how many kids do you have? None. Do you know the conversations that happen behind closed doors? But in spite of that, even though his body said he can't happen, he believed the promise of the Lord. Y'all, we need to get into this Bible. It's not just reading your U version plan. No, it's reading that plan. It's remembering the scriptures. It's speaking it out. It's praying them. It's singing them. We need to do it. 
because the word of God is living and active. I've seen it. I believe it. And we need it because unquenchable hope is contagious. But it's not just connecting to a promise. It's not just connecting to to the prophetic words you've gotten. It's cultivated through the practice of praise. I've been thinking about this word, this phrase, practice of praise, since March. And it's so, so important. You see, we love to praise and worship. I mean, we did it here. We do it on Sunday mornings corporately. We do it it during the midweek services. We lift up our hands. But what happens when you're by yourself? What happens when you are by yourself? Do you just sit and just praise your problems? Or do you turn on the music and decide... You know what? I need, I need a different frame of reference. See, going back to my analogy of touching these, I think what happened during this season is a lot of people, instead of using, pointing to the point of reference, Jesus Christ, they kept looking at their frame of reference, their circumstances. But what praise does, see, in Psalm 62, uh, 16, excuse me, verse 11, it says, in your presence, there's fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. And then it goes on to say in Psalm 22, verse 3, it says, God inhabits the praises of his people. Let me tell you what happens when you praise. It doesn't matter what you're carrying. It doesn't matter what happens. When you just stand right there, in spite of all of the pressures, because there are pressures, if you stand right there, in, in, in spite of the comments on Instagram and Facebook, in spite of what's happening with your finances, in spite of the relational tension that you find either in your family or with your close friends, and you just say, God, you are Lord. You are Jehovah Jireh. You are Jehovah Nisi. You are Alpha and Omega. And you begin to lift him up. You're not asking for anything. You're worshiping him. And you just begin to lift him up. What happens? See, the Bible says, God says, when I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. That scripture is talking about God being lifted up, on the, Jesus being lifted up on the cross. But I also believe that it's talking about when you lift God up, he inhabits your praises. And all of a sudden, because when you're in the presence of God, every form of depression cannot stand. Discouragement cannot stand. Despair cannot stand. And where you feel doubt and overwhelm, then all of a sudden God begins to bring his insight because you're right there in his presence. There's perspective. But not only that, when you are before the Lord, and you're worshiping, and you're praising, you're sowing a seed. What do I mean by this? In Genesis chapter 29, I'll tell you to take you to a little story. We meet Leah, and many of you already know the story of Leah, Jacob, and Rachel. For seven years, first of all, the Bible starts by comparing Leah and Rachel, and it's very obvious Leah doesn't have that much going on based on what the scriptures say. So already her father is like, Lord, have mercy. (laughs) And for seven years, she's sitting in the back and she's watching this man, Jacob, 
making googly eyes at Rachel. And I'm going to embellish just a little bit and make this story interesting. So on the wedding day, <laughs> in her bridesmaid's dress, she's worked really hard. She was there for her daughter, her sister's makeup, pictures, bride reveal, all of the things that you guys do now, young people. <laughs> she's taking off her shoes and her dad busts into the room. Get up, get up. She has no idea what's happening. He throws her into the marriage tent. No expectation, no warning, no preparation. She's already dealing a little bit, probably with rejection. Then all of a sudden she's thrusted into a situation she did not comprehend or even have time to think about. It's in this situation, she's now married to Jacob, who later on marries Rachel. And it says in Genesis 29, verse 31, it says, When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he enabled her to have children. She was desperate. So she becomes pregnant and she has her first son. See, back then when you had a son, it was a big deal. She has her first son. And, and not only was it a big deal, they named their children based on their circumstances. So she names her first son Reuben. And she says, the Lord has noticed my misery, and now my husband will love me. She's hoping to find affirmation from Jacob, because she's desperate. She soon became pregnant again, gave birth to another son. She named him Simeon, for she said, the Lord heard that I was unloved, and he has given me another son. So she's still in the same situation. Same situation. But she's thinking, oh, I'll get my, I'll get my husband. He, he will notice me. No dice. Then she became pregnant a third time, gave birth to another son. He was named Levi, for she said, surely this time my husband will feel affection for me since I have given him three sons. I don't know how long this was, but at least it's three years. Nothing changed. But then she has her fourth son. It says, once again, Leah became pregnant and gave birth to another son. She named him Judah, for she said, now I will praise the Lord. Now tell me, what was it that happened between Levi and Judah? I don't know, but this is what I know. She realized very quickly that you man, Jacob, you can't give me what I'm looking for. So she turned her gaze in praise and she started to worship God. And she started to praise God in the midst of our situation. And she gave a sacrifice of praise. She showed that seed. And then Judah happened. And you know what is so exciting about Judah? Is that Judah is the forefather of Jesus Christ. That seed of praise. It was a legacy that we now stand and we talk about. Let me tell you something that is unquenchable hope. Because that just as Pastor Brian, Dr. Brian actually said to us today, when he read 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, and I'm going to read it again. He says, all 
praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. And we have a priceless inheritance. An inheritance that is kept in heaven for you. So what am I saying? In addition to having unquenchable, what happens is when you cultivate with praise, with the practice of praise, you are stoking that living hope that is in you. And that great expectation is that of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are doing something that will not only change your mind, but you begin to see what God is doing. And so then your faith begins to grow. And then there's this convincing that I am not giving up. I am not going to abort my participation in what God is doing. I may, things might not look like I thought it would, but God is a God. And I love that song we sang last night with the phrase, the word that says, he will never, ever fail. Never. Because what he says he will do, he will do. So family, unquenchable hope. He's always connected to a godly promise. And we must cultivate it with the practice of praise. So when you go home and you get back connected to that situation that you've left for five days, when you get home and you are faced with your MPD and that number hasn't increased, when you get home and there are congregation members waiting to tell you about yourself, when you get home to that marriage that has been trucking and you're like, God, will there ever be change? When you get home and that wayward child is still saying the same song, can I just tell you something? You need to look up to the Lord and you need to say, but God, this is what you said. God, this is what you promised me. God, I am old and I was young. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging for bread. God, you are faithful. You are holy. You are righteous. And I know you can do beyond and above more than I you are able and you never ever fail so wherever you are and you're saying I want that faith that I want that hope that unquenchable hope I want that living hope burning inside of me I want to walk into my situation and yes it might be dire yes it might be despairing but you know what I have a hope there's a God in me he is alive he is well he is present he is able he's alive and still speaks even when it is dark he is the light I hear his voice I have his word I memorize it in my heart if that's you I want to pray for you right now I want to speak to the youth something was unleashed during this pandemic and there's some of you here thoughts about ending your life are flooding your soul can I tell you something you matter we need you and God I'm not buying, I'm not trying to be trite has a plan for your life the things that we are fighting you there's just so this they're going to be your floor and you will trample on every plan of the enemy don't listen to that voice because you are worth it and God has a he had if you could only see 
what he's going to do through and in you. Don't quit. Please don't quit. Don't quit. Romans 15, 13, all eyes closed. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Holy Ghost, I ask you right now to infuse every heart right now with your unquenchable hope. Lord, I'm praying in the name of Jesus, every spirit of despair, every spirit of depression, every spirit of discouragement that has tried to evade our thoughts and cripple us in the mighty name of Jesus, I bind you right now and I command you to go and I ask for the joy of the Lord to be our strength and I pray for an unquenchable hope to flood our souls. I speak to all of our situations. I command you to bow down to the authority of Jesus Christ and in Jesus' name I pray for an atmosphere of praise and I ask you Heavenly Father, show yourself strong. Show yourself strong, mighty God. the greatest harvest but an unprecedented season where God will do things he's never done before please do not abort the mission father we thank you we give you praise in Jesus name amen been listening to a message from every nation gta thanks for joining us for more information visit our website at everynationgta.org